With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. These two, and uh, first of all, I want to start with Kamala Harris dropping out. Uh, Lawrence O'Donnell says that she is now officially on the short list to be the vice president. Um, <laughs> Dan, start us off, my friend. Is that the vice president of Iran? <laughs> Um, she was a classic, in in my opinion, she was a classic flash in the pan. She had some momentum with her great smile, um, and that carried her into the first debate when she went after Joe Biden, and, uh, they thought she was going to knock him out, and she never caught on. She, uh, again, we're talking about the problem that she, in my opinion, that she had, she had no substance. I mean, you could say that about the vast majority of all the people running for the Democratic. They have rhetoric and they have, quote, plans, but they don't have any substance. I mean, and I think the perfect example of that, Jim, is what happened to Elizabeth Warren. It wasn't that long ago, Jim, that everybody was talking about that Elizabeth Warren was a lock to be the presidential nominee. And the media let her skate on her how she was going to pay her $52 trillion for health care for all. And when they started asking questions and she talked about all the taxes and that the employer was going to pay 9 to 10% and all the taxes from the corporate and taking the corporate tax rate up to potentially 90%. And then, in addition to her $52 trillion for Medicare for All, she wanted to tax the rich 25 to 3.5% every year on everything that they owned. Uh, when the people finally, when the press finally began to talk about that, she dropped like a stone. I mean, she dropped 50% in her approval rating, uh, and she's... Are probably going to fall off the chart. Um, we still have a problem that the Democratic Party does not have a message other than tax and spend and bigger government, uh, but they don't have anything to make life better. And the president's not helping them anywhere because now we've, we've got 3.5% unemployment. We've got the president looking at a between 33 and 35 percent approval rating in the black community, which is an Hispanic community, absolutely devastating the Democratic Party. Uh, we have the fiasco of this of the Schiff hearings. Now we're now we're looking at new hearings starting tomorrow, and I, I, I'm going to apologize in advance, Jim. With the penguin for the chairmanship of this committee, um, Mr. Roly Poly, um, I don't think he's going to do any better job of managing this committee than he did to trying to manage uh, Robert Mueller uh, and his questions. Um, 
and so they're they're going to bring they're going to bring something to the floor probably by next monday through the senate judiciary committee to vote on impeachment and um i'm still not convinced that they're going to have enough votes and um and what she definitely she's not going to i don't think nancy's going to succeed in getting any republicans to turn in the house what she has to be concerned about is how many democrats is she going to lose in the house she needs 218 votes to pass it uh but there are rumblings in the district that if this is what what we've seen so far is going to be the basis of the impeachment um it may not pass and we'll watch and see what happens uh tomorrow will be interesting hearings with the lawyers talking about what is an impeachable offense and we're going to get the republicans a chance to question the attorneys and again this could blow up on the democrats you could have these constitutional attorneys not all of them necessarily agreeing that all of the stipulations are in fact impeachable offenses so that that's a high risk maneuver that they're taking but and i suspect if after this initial judicial hearing uh depending on who they're going to bring out to talk on the next day or two after that uh i would be surprised it wouldn't surprise me that a vote gets postponed because they don't have enough votes to pass it iq uh, you know, I find it amazing that we are discussing this. I, I mean it honestly. I have never known or seen a circus such as the one Schiff is con conducting with no knowledge of anything. Nothing. They don't care about the Constitution. They don't give a damn about procedure. They know nothing or ignore everything that happened before in impeachments. And they are railroading themselves to destruction. I find that bizarre. But I tell you what, come 2020, with a landslide bigger than 2016, I'll celebrate again down. I can't see anything coming out of it. By the way, Zelensky from Poland, uh, so from the Ukraine, said, hey, nothing was quit for Poland. So what are they getting at? And especially when Dan is a constitutionalist, I don't understand your hesitating. You, you, should, you know the, the rules better than anybody else I've ever heard. Honestly, <laughs> but you do. Well, what's the problem with me? What, what is your problem with me? I reading about the Constitution because of you. Um, I, I, you cut out. I didn't hear everything you said. Can you try me one more time, IQ? No, I said because of you. I started reading about the Constitution. Oh, okay, good. And I'm coming to the conclusion that they have nothing, zero, beneath, beneath contempt. What can I tell you? But but there, there's if you read the Constitution, the Constitution says that the House has the is the sole right to impeach a president for what is quote quoted as high crimes and misdemeanors. Correct. Now and and that that the check on that. Our, our system of checks and balances is that the Senate must conduct the trial. Now, I have heard many constitutional lawyers tell me 
that under the Constitution, it'll be interesting to see whether the lawyers agree about this tomorrow, but under the Constitution, the House can indict a president for damn near anything. And that, but that, because he's been indicted, the, the rule of law, even under the Constitution as it relates to impeachment, is the president is presumed to be innocent until the court trial with uh, the Senate. Now, it, it, makes, it makes no sense to me uh, that, that the House, the Democrats, either the Democrats are so arrogant to believe that they have such a compelling case that they could convince the Senate to impeach the president and remove him from office. Or they don't care. And, 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 and I think that, that I haven't heard any real um, rumblings from one Republicans that they're going to vote against the president per se. I mean, Mitt Romney talked about the possibility of that happening. But what's, what's interesting is the absence of any conversation by Democrats. Nothing. And so um, this is all House-driven. Um, and so I, I don't understand from a political process, IQ and Jim, if you turn over your case to the floor managers from the House, who will be the prosecution, the defense, what is the, def what is the prosecution going to do when the Republicans issue warrants, subpoena warrants, to Adam Schiff, and the whistleblower to come and testify before the Senate committee. What are they going to do if the if the Democrats see a warrant to Joe Biden or Henry uh, uh, or his son? Um, what are they going to do if there's an, a warrant for um, uh, James Comey or Clapper or Brennan or Hillary or Barack Clinton? Hussein. Pardon me? Barack Hussein Obama. Why not? Oh, there's a possibility that that could happen. So that why would, if you're a Democratic leader, why would you, knowing that that the conventional wisdom, unless you believe you're super, Superman, the conventional wisdom is that it's not going to go well in the Senate for you, why would you put all of those people to public scrutiny and cross-examination by the Republicans? It makes no sense. It's it's a it's a it's a wrong political move, and if I were a defense a, a prosecution attorney, I would not make that move. I, I, if I'm a defense attorney, I'll make that move any day, every day. But the vulnerability is is the risk is all on the Democratic side, not on the Republican side. And given the skill that the ten or twelve congressmen and women who were working on the Intelligence Committee and how they were to be able to pick apart and, and dissect and butcher all of, the, all of the witnesses that came in was not a pretty sight for the Democrats. What are they going to do when they're not going to have a shift controlling the questions? 
when the Democrats have to defend their bill of impeachment against the witnesses and against the, the defense representing the Republican Party. For some reason, they're not thinking about that ramification, or they are, and they're going to pull the trigger at the last hour and not hold the vote. I, I don't know, but I, 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 if, this, if this goes forward to a trial, it seems to me this would be the biggest political blunder in the history of our country. As much as I agree with you, the question is always the same. Why are the left Democrats and the leftists in Europe allowing Muslims to take root? Exactly, it's exactly the same position. They are committing suicide knowingly, and they continue doing it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the leftist mindset. They, are de they really are deranged. There's no question. In my mind, there is absolutely no question. Every time I listen to all of the Democrats, the pretenders to be for the presidency, take Warren. She's a cuckoo land. She's a different universe, completely out of touch with reality. And yet, she has support. Come Bloomberg, what, what is he? A charlatan. What is he? He's a billionaire. So bloody what? He's a billionaire. But these people haven't said anything in three years to make America better. I'm looking at Dow Jones. It's over 27,500 points. I, <clears throat> I mean, it's unbelievable what Trump has done. He met today with three top-level Europeans. He's 72, 73 years old. And he's doing meetings and talking like a guy of 35. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not kidding. 35 years old couldn't do it. And he is coherent. And by the way, he received accolade from whom? The leader of the military of the European Union. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Against Macron, by the way. Mm -hmm. Against Macron. Everybody is against Trump. They are so stupid. He is way ahead of them. He's been playing them like a fiddle for three years. They haven't learned anything. They won't learn anything. They can't. Honestly, they can't. Their mindset is completely gone. They don't have any mind. You know, and I, I, you, you, you spoke about uh, Bloomberg. Um, here, is a, here is a person who came in who, <clears throat> if I'm the other candidates, who are scraping for every penny they can to advertise, uh, and and he comes in with his fifty billion dollars of net worth, and starts to buy advertising, running for president, uh, and I see it every day here in Florida. Um, <clears throat> he's not going to. I don't think the Democratic leadership will change the campaign rules to allow him to come on the stage because. He, he won't come up with 200,000 individual contributors. Uh, and he's and at the moment, he hasn't moved high enough in, a, in the percentage to, uh, to get, that, <clears throat> get that position on the stage. But I don't think he cares. So it's another division in the Democratic Party that they have to overcome. You know, the fact that Kamala Harris is out and whether another one who I couldn't even remember dropped out over the weekend. Uh, <clears throat> but what's left is um, two old guys in their 70s, a white woman, 
<clears throat> and uh, a gay and uh, uh, a couple of other minorities, but but We're nothing. There's nobody there that's exciting. They may be exciting their base IQ, but they're not exciting the American public. And I, I look at Elizabeth Warren and I say, I can't imagine her trying to debate with Donald Trump. I really can't. I don't think she's got the emotional stability to handle <clears throat> what he would throw at her as a, as the Democrat, as a Republican candidate. Um, and, uh, 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 she doesn't have, she doesn't have the presence, even of Kamala Harris or Chelsea Gibbard. She just doesn't have that physical presence. So she's going to be, um, she's not going to be a. If she gets the nomination, I'm not sure that she will. But uh, I don't know how she recovers from where she is at the moment when she took such a huge hit over her, the cost of her. Medicare for all. And I think that's really the issue, Jim, is that is that Americans are beginning to wake up to what all the things that the government wants to give away for free. Like, like there was a, a note that came out last week. You might have seen this. And that note said that um, under Elizabeth Warren's Medicare for all, she would create 12 new bureaucracies in the federal government. Twelve. Amazing. Twelve additional biographies, uh, uh, bureaucratic, bureaucratic operations in the government. So again, increasing the size of the government to provide the, the quote, the programs that, that nobody wants. And I just, I just find it amazing. So um, the idea that we want to give away stuff for free, the American electorate is beginning to understand there is no such thing as free college or free health care or free income. Somebody's got to pay. By the way, when you said in a debate with Trump, he would destroy her intellectually. Nothing to do with uh, anything else, honestly. She doesn't have the brain power. She hasn't got anything only rhetoric, only belief in herself that she can be, she said she will be the last president to have a electoral college. Isn't she destroying the constitution by saying that? Yes, absolutely. That's clearly on the agenda of the Democratic Party. So. Is they're, they're out to, <laughs> to destroy the constitution. <clears throat> There's no question about that. But it's it's interesting that all the people who are talking about, I mean, Camilla Harris, the the people who are advising these candidates, uh, are giving. Camilla Harris, when she was talking about prescription drugs. She said, if the, if the pharmaceutical companies will not give us the price we want, we will take their patents and produce it ourselves. Um, that's blackmail, number one. And number two, um, I don't think that the government can actually take patents away from private individuals. But either she doesn't understand the law, which I think is probably more likely, but she's trying to 
trying to play to a base that wants reform in prescription drugs. And I just think it's just crazy that the agenda of the agenda of the left is so far left that it's almost coming over to radical right. It's gone that far around the globe. I do have one observation for you, Jim. Did you happen to hear the conversation, the comments of Joe Biden over the weekend about how black people like the blonde hair on his legs when he's in the swimming? <laughs> I, I've seen this clip, and I just don't understand it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Neither does he, but there was no relevance. I guess I guess the relevance was black people do like me because they like the way my blonde hair falls down and then rises up when I get out of the water in a swimming pool. I mean, that's that's a hell of a way to say that black people should vote for me because they like the, the way my hair on my legs lays down. I mean, it's just, you know, and, and um, he is one major gaffe after another. And, and I just, um, they tolerate him. And, I'm, and he still continued to be uh, way ahead as the others fall away. You know, and when when these people are dropping out of the Democratic race, their their percentage of the electorate that they own or people supporting them is so small that it doesn't make any change in, in any real change in the remaining members uh, uh, of the the Democrats running for the presidential nomination. So when when Kamala Harris drops out, she is she had maybe two. Two and a half percent. I don't know that it'll make a change in in uh, Elizabeth Warren or or Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders or whoever. Um, but they're going to continue to fall out. And uh, Bloomberg is out there. I, I have kind of an interesting theory here that I haven't written about yet, but I'm going to. Is that Michael Bloomberg? is really a Republican. And he's running as a Democrat just to create chaos in the Democratic Party. I love this. <laughs> I love this. Go for it, please. Yeah, so so the idea is that um, he's got, you know, so what is he going to spend? A billion dollars? Half a billion dollars? Chump change. He spends a half a billion dollars, $500 million dollars, running in a campaign where he goes after and, and and sucks the air out of the room for the remaining Democratic de delegates. But he doesn't really want to be president. He's there on a mission for the Republican Party to add continued chaos to the Democratic Party. Because I got to believe the people on the stage are really pissed. I mean, if you've eaten 700 pounds of rubber chicken since last fall trying to win the nomination and he walks in and says yeah i'm not going to do that i'm going to spend my money on advertising i'm going to run see what can happen and so let's say he doesn't do well in terms of the polling data and he spends a hundred million dollars do you remember in 2016 jim that one jeb bush spent 125 million dollars and he got no delegates to the convention. 
Yes. You remember that? Yes. $125 million. A lot of money. Got no delegates. So, you know, Bloomberg could spend $100 million. Wouldn't phase him at all at $50 billion. Uh, that's interesting in his checking account. But he can cause tremendous disruption in the Democratic Party, especially if he's not on the stage. And, and being on the stage, quite honestly, is becoming less and less desirable because the viewers continue to decline dramatically. I think the last debate had less than 8 million viewers. So, um, you know, it, it's, Rush Limbaugh gets 15 million viewers a day. Uh, so, um, and I don't know that because the, more and more candidates start to drop out before we get to the primary, but the, everybody's got so much baggage with them that it's hard to believe that they're ever going to win a majority. And that's why I still think if Hillary Clinton comes out of the December 9th, next Monday, Inspector General report, unscathed, not touched, her stock will move dramatically uh, in terms of a problem that nobody will go into the convention with enough votes locked up to win the nomination. And by the second ballot, it'll become a brokered convention. And Hillary will step up. I can beat him. I did it once before. I can do it again. <laughs> she <And she's>, <laughs> yeah. But she's going to, that she's still going to be the, the nominee for the Democratic Party. And and as they walk closer to that, the greatest risk from a chaos standpoint is that if they start talking about her as the nominee because she escapes anything out of the uh, uh, IG report, the more she, she will gain some momentum about people will talk be talking more and more about her as the president nominee and she will start ginning up her base and she'll start creating some interest in momentum. And then when the, this, the Connecticut attorney brings out his report, he could knock her out of the water. And so then who's left? If they go into next year before Durham brings out his and Barr bring out their reports, which is possible, um uh, you blow up the you blow up again the the democratic candidates and if mr bloomberg isn't careful he might wind up with the nomination god wouldn't that be horrible <laughs> i just i don't like bloomberg that's the thing i i just i i i would say to you in all candor if one goes down the list and looks at who is currently running for president for the nomination for the Democratic Party, is there any person there who can beat Donald Trump? I don't think so. I don't think... The, the, as somebody said recently, the power of incumbency is powerful. This is the man who... who when the, the House Democrats are trying to do about their, their Intelligence Committee report, he's over in Europe with, with uh, the NATO people. Um, and so it's just, um, I, I, 
I don't see Uncle Joe being considered as a serious candidate longer term because of his age and his inability to speak coherently and reliably. Bernie is an old, tired curmudgeon that uh, is angry at the world. And um, Elizabeth Warren has no charisma. And uh, I, I just don't see anybody there that's got enough charisma to go toe-to-toe with Donald Trump, the president, the sitting president of the United States. Don't see it happening. What do you think, Jim? Well, I, uh, I, I tend to agree with you. IQ, what do you think about all this? I mean, it's a foregone conclu- conclusion as far as I'm concerned. No one in America today can beat Trump. No one. I mean, talk about the political leader. What is there to beat him with? The economy is one of the best. Unemployment better in, the, in 50 years, better than any other time. The Dow Jones is through the ceiling. What is there to be done? By the way, his political position in the world today is infinitely more powerful than he, when he first became president. Right. Infinitely more. Today, in his meetings in Europe, the head of the military organization of NATO, not an American, he said, because of Trump, more billions of dollars have been spent on the military of Europe, and by 2025, they will be spending 400 billion. Not American money, European money. That's an achievement when everybody in Europe was insulting him. Now all of them are begging him. The tragedy is that more Americans, a lot of Americans, at least 47% of Americans, do not appreciate one of the best presidents the United States has ever had. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, there's a, there was a story I saw over the weekend when I was up in New York uh, that... Uh, more and more Republicans actually think that Donald Trump may in fact be the best president this nation's ever had. And uh, and they compare him to the challenges that Lincoln had, which were different than the challenges that, that Trump has. But uh, uh, I, I think that's a little soon to do that. But I do believe that he has made tremendous strides and done tremendous things for the country, um, and uh, it's interesting. I, I did a, I did an interview this afternoon, Jim, talking about the unemployment. Um, we now have about three and a half percent or so. We'll get a number on Friday, un, uh, unemployment, the lowest in fifty some years. We have six and a half million jobs that are vacant that have to have to be filled. One of the problems that that is now not, not being talked about yet, but will be soon, is that remember all the conversation earlier this fall, Jim, when the Democrats were talking about recession. It's coming. 
and things are going to be bad and ugly and everything. And and so they they tried to create a narrative that the the Trump economy was going to fall apart. We're going to have a recession, and uh, that's one of the reasons why we need to get rid of President Trump. And as IQ pointed out, where the where the Dow is, but now we have a situation where many of the economists are now forecasting that S&P 500 earnings next year will probably grow at least 10%. 10%. So we're now talking about an economy that's going to expand. But if we've already got a 3.5% unemployment rate and we've got 6-plus million jobs unfilled, where are we going to get the bodies? Where are we going to get the hours and the bodies to fulfill? We have a, a good-sized number of people who have gone out of the workforce and now have come back, blacks and Hispanics and whites and everybody. There's lots of people that have come out of the economy, stopped looking for work. And we can bring some of those people back in. But one of the challenges going to be is that if this economy starts growing at 35 to 4%, we're going to have a tremendous, tremendous labor shortage and in some areas of the country right now, Jim, the unemployment rate is 2% or lower. Companies can't find people to fill the jobs. If you can't find the people to fill the jobs, it's hard for you to expand your business. Now, you may be doing a lot of really good business now, but if the economy has the ability to expand and you can't expand it because you can't get personnel, you're going to start seeing corporations as we had a number of years ago places in the south were desperately looking for school teachers and they were trying to raid school teachers from the north to come down to the south by paying them relocation bonuses and everything else so we're, we're going to have an economy that's going to continue to grow throughout mr trump's second term and we're going to have robust employment i mean we're talking about the the, the word is at the moment that the retail merchants associations say that the Christmas season could see growth of between four and six percent over last year. That says that the American consumer has money in their wallet and they're willing to spend, and they feel good about their prospects. They're going to be they're going to spend a lot of money for Christmas. So we've got an economy that's continuing to be the best and mo most robust economy in the world but also an economy that has the potential to grow even faster. And um, I worry about where we're going to get the personnel to run the economy. Um, may I suggest there will be a huge amount of advances in robotics. A lot of jobs will be lost because of robotics. McDonald's will go robotic. Chicken Hill will go robotic. All of them will go, you know, like $15 an hour. A robot doesn't got sick. I don't disagree with you, IQ, but but your your solution is a longer term solution, not a solution over the next year or two. We're going to have serious labor shortages over the next year or two or three. Uh, so we're going to have an economy that's going to continue to expand, uh, but it's going to be short. Uh, uh, enough people to expand the economy. 
I agree with you that some of those jobs will be replaced by robotic jobs, but that takes longer to implement, and uh, we're dealing with a, a real problem right now. Uh, it, it, it's a phenomenal problem to have that we have so many people working in this country, and we have more people working in the United States than has ever worked before. Um, Again, we come to the question, why would anybody fault Trump? Why would any rational American, forget about patriotism, forget about race and color, just rational thinking, why would anybody with two brain cells of logic go for Democrats when under Trump all this is happening? That's the question I cannot figure out to answer. Mm -hmm. Well, the, 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 it's a good question, and, and I think the part of the answer to your question, IQ, is that we, the American voters will have in November of next year a, the clearest definition between the two parties than perhaps in our entire lifetime. We know what the Republicans stand for and what the Republicans have done are going to do, and we know exactly what the Democrats stand for and what they want to do. And so the choice is clear. There's no, there's no, there's no fudging of the lines. There's no, well, they're the same. No, these are going to be clear, distinct lines of differences between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party in the general election. And I don't see anybody, anybody on the Democratic side who can bring the Democratic Party back towards the middle so that they can win the presidency. Because at the moment, the Democratic Party is controlled by people who don't want to go back to the middle. They want to go further and further left. Under Trump, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the Democrats have had more backbone now than ever in their history. Would you, you mean Repu Republicans? Sorry, Republicans. I apologize. Yes, I agree. I I, I think that it's he has energized them. He really has put uh, the spirit of war in them. Instead of being meek. Yeah, it's it's true that for the longest time, maybe as much as 30, 40 years. Yeah. The Democratic Party, whether they were in power in terms of control of the House, or the Senate, or the White House, the Democrats have been in power, and the Republicans, by and large, have uh, acquiesced to anything that the Democrats say that should have to happen. But you have more and more senators and more and more Congress people who are absolutely having, um, you could call it backbones or gonads, whatever you want to call it, but uh, I, I am thrilled to see that we have Republicans in the House and the Senate who are not only standing up for the president, but they're standing up for the country, and they're challenging yeah. what's going on, and um, um, I think that, the, that, believe it or not, Jim, I think that the, the impeachment trial may be a great thing for our country as we clearly define the differences between the two parties. In fact, at the end, in November 2020, there is absolutely no doubt that the difference between uh, consumer society, free consumer society, and socialism. 
literally. You see, that's uh, what's going to happen. So let's 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 go back, if we could, uh, Jim, if you don't mind. I'd I'd like to ask IQ to talk. We talk a little bit about the Middle East. Uh, in in my frame of mind, it's and I don't mean to, to be demeaning, but it's irrelevant to us anymore, uh, except for except for Israel. Um, we 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 had huge riots in uh, Iraq last weekend, weekend before. Uh, the prime minister or president of Iraq, correct me if I'm wrong, IQ, is talking about resigning. Prime uh, minister. Prime minister. Um, and uh, the riots in Iran have been explosive uh, uh, with the dissatisfaction with the Ayatollahs. Um, and uh, um, the Palestinians are, are still trying to create a situation, uh, but the, the Iranians don't have any money anymore to, to fund the Palestinian movement. I don't know where their money's coming from to buy their missiles. At the moment, coming from Qatar. Qatar? Qatar, Qatar is the source. Okay, thank you. In fact, the Israelis are allowing it. This is a remarkable part. Qatar is supplying the money to the Hamas, and Israel is allowing it. Why? I have no idea. Believe me, I have no idea. But they're allowing it. By the way, everything you're talking about is connected to Iran. Hezbollah, Hamas, Iraq, every one of these have got to do with the mullahs. In Iraq, it was Shia Muslims, the very people who belong to the Iranian group who are against Iran, because they're Arabs. They hate Iranians. Mm -hmm. You see, it's not only Islam. There is nationalism here. The Iraqi national movement, although they are Shia Muslims, they hate the Iranians. It's that simple. It's not complicated. It's been there for 1,400 years. It's not a new one. So, so what's happening in the Middle East is to do with Iran, by the way. So what what's going on with the the increasing protest in Iran? What what's happening there? This is remarkable. Uh, people, some of the people had had connections with Iran. Because the, new, the news media have been suppressed, the internet systems. 900 people have been killed. 900 people. But in the meantime, the Iranians, the demonstrators, burned down 700 plus banks and 140 buildings belonging to the, to the Ayatollahs. So we're not talking about small uh, revolutions, a big, a big one. And the problem is we don't have enough information to show the world how outrageous what these people are being dealt with, how outrageously they've been dealt with. They're shooting them dead, literally, indiscriminate. So why is, uh, if I'm staying in the same region, but I'm asking a different question, why has um, the situation with Turkey out of the headlines. Why is it? Why did it calm down? It hasn't calmed down. It's under the radar at the moment. Turkey is biding its time. They will unleash hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Muslims to invade Europe. This is going to happen. They're waiting. You see, this impeachment process has emboldened all the enemies of America. 
not America, the people, American government. For example, uh, Turkey is emboldened because of the impeachment. North Korea is emboldened. The Ayatollahs are emboldened because all of them are expecting sooner or later Trump to be removed. And then they can unleash everything. But it's not going to happen. But we have to wait to 2020 to figure that one out. I mean, at the moment, Schiff is a traitor. All of them are traitors. You can say whatever you want as an American. I'm not an American, so I can say exactly what I said. Schiff, if I had a chance, I'll put him on wall against the wall and shoot him dead. Why? Because while Trump is trying to negotiate on behalf of the United States of America, he's undermining him, he's stabbing him in the back with this outrageous charade of uh, impeachment. Mm -hmm. We're talking about legality and being nice. I'm not interested in being legal and nice. Because what the impeachment process is has nothing to do with legality. It has nothing to do with justice. It has nothing to do with morality. It's completely out of touch with reality. So I have to be in the same mindset. So as I said, if I had a chance, I'd put him against the wall, blow his brains up. What is he getting at? There's no, there's no Mexican. Americans believe, you know, I can't believe even 47% of Americans continue to believe him. He lied for three years. He said, I have, I have, I have. Why didn't he produce anything? And nobody said anything. They, they talk about Trump with quid pro quo. Biden did it. He had, he has it on TV. It's recorded. It shows that it was absolutely a threat. Nobody took him to court. Nobody impeached him. Trump didn't do anything. He didn't even say anything, and nothing happened. Nothing quit pro quo. No money was given, and nothing was revealed about uh, Joe Biden. So where is the quit pro quo? How is it possible that 47% of Americans fall for this garbage? Do I get excited? Yes, I get excited. I'm entitled to it. But yeah. Okay. Um... It's interesting. I just did a piece. It hasn't come out yet. I mean, it's with my publisher about this uh, the, this whole issue of of Schiff and uh, telling the truth and and why why is it going the way it is. But I, I wanted <clears throat> I wanted to talk about change the subject back to America again into a a, a, a kind of a unique combination of discussions. This is an article that I'm working on now, Jim. And um, we, we have a situation where um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, was back in the hospital again last weekend now for lung cancer. And um, I think that there's um, an opportunity to make this a, uh, a, a multifaceted teaching moment. Um, a lot of people in this country know nothing about what's happening to her. And there are people who are idiots who are saying, well, I'll give her my pancreas and her kidneys or whatever. <clears throat> uh, she has pancreatic cancer. And I have some experience with that in, in both uh, working with a research fellow and also having a, a personal friend here on Sanibel who passed away this summer from it. Um, we, we, we don't understand that 
um, <clears throat> the the five year survival rate for pros, uh, for pancreatic cancer is one of the lowest in all the cancers. Um, it's a devastating disease because not only do you wind up with pancreatic cancer, uh, you're going to wind up with brain cancer, lung cancer, and other maybe liver or kidney cancer um, because of the nature of the disease. Uh, and so that Ms. Ginsburg is getting these treatments to try and extend her life and in turn extend her term on the court. Uh, and so that the 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 Democrats are using her illness as a tool to try and prevent the pro the president should she pass away from nominating a replacement for her to the court during the election year. Um, to me, we're 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 not doing a really great job of helping people understand how horrible this cancer is and 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 what this woman must be going through to deal with the cancer and yet tr tr still try to come to the court and perform and function. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I've done some research. I haven't been able to find out when she was specifically diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I do know that on a historical basis, by the time you're diagnosed with prostate or with pancreatic cancer, it's probably already too late to do anything. Um, but I, I, I think that uh, she's become now a tool that um, should she die, uh, the uh, the Democrats will fight the president replacing her because there's every indication he would not replace her with a another Democrat, but more conservative. And the implications are dramatic in that what we'd have is in a nine-member Supreme Court, we could have, if she passes away in now or in Trump's, Trump's second term or can't function and has to re retire, we're talking about the possibility of a six-to-three conservative margin in the court. When you consider where we were, Jim, prior to the election of Donald Trump in the court, 5-4, and sometimes 5-4 against us, a 6-3 margin in favor of conservative and strict interpretation could have far-reaching implications going forward in this country. So we need to talk a little bit more about what are the ramifications of her. Uh, I, I said on your show before the 2016 election, I said, it's not about oil, it's not about employment, it's not about the economy. The most important issue facing us in the presidential election of 2016 as to who is going to appoint two to three judges in the Supreme Court, which could change the, the makeup of the court and its decisions for 40 to 50 years. We are in that same situation again, is that if we lose one of the liberal judges and we now have a 6-3 conservative court, it's going to make a lot of things more difficult for the Democrats to get done. Should we have, should you have term limits, let's say nine years maximum or seven years maximum? 
for a Supreme Court justice? Of course. Why not? I, I don't know, because the, the founders, when they wrote the Constitution, Supreme Court justices were, in order to provide the opportunity for them to be unbiased and not be influenced by the political process of being reelected, chose to make the appointments for life. Ah, okay, that makes sense. But that's that's the the founders did that, and that's true for most judges uh, in some of the senior areas. But I do think that, well, I wouldn't have term limits per se. I might have an age limit, you know. And I, I'm saying that somebody who's seventy four, uh, saying that the term limit should be seventy five. Uh, but I think that there should be a time when that person who has given 20, 30 years to his country or her country uh, needs to move on and um, putting a term limit that would have, that would allow the person to be on for a reasonable period of time, uh, but add the life experience to the, to the, uh, the court itself to to do the things that it needs to get done. Uh, I would think that seventy five might be a a reasonable time to retire. Because remember, when the founders, the framers, wrote the Constitution, uh, if you lived into your fifties or sixties at that particular time, that was a long time. And so, in today's world, seventy, eighty, ninety is an older age and there are thousands, tens of thousands of people are over a hundred. But <clears throat> I do think that we need to create a situation where there is a natural rotation. Uh, and, and I think doing it on age is probably one way to do that. And it should be not just the Supreme court, but, but all federal judges should have a retirement exposure uh, at some age, and I think 75 is the number. Do you have any thoughts on that, Jim? I think they ought to uh, keep it the way it is. I, I don't think we ought to have term limits for judges. Okay. And and why would you do that? Because it was in the Constitution. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're always what they call a, a strict constructionist. You believe in the, the Constitution as written. and I, And I think, by and large, I agree with that. But, you know, this idea that we're, that this, you know, I, I think that the reason why she's still on the court and hasn't retired is that she was, before she became a justice, she was a political activist. She was on the left. She was a left liberal. And I think that, that her political agenda has caused her to stay on the court where if she were less political, she would have resigned. And we saw that with Kennedy. He resigned. Um, uh, I don't think he was as old as Ruth, but he's, and, and, and he was kind of the swing vote, but, but he said it was kind of time to move on, to do something else, uh, and let somebody else younger come in and, and, and help lead the country going forward. So... Uh, I, I wouldn't disagree with you that, that this, it's okay to leave it, but but I think that uh, when you let your politics affect your health and what you're doing and you're staying on because of your health, um, uh, 
And I'm not saying she's not capable of making appropriate decisions, but she's missed several court appearances, and um, uh, she can't fully fulfill the job. And if you can't fulfill the job to its fullest extent, it's time to move on. Now, I'm curious about something that IQ said earlier in the program, that Mr. Trump is 75 and, my words not, he is running rings around the, the people much younger. Why do you think, IQ? But he is, honestly. I understand that, but why do you think so? Why is he doing that? Or he, how, how is he capable of doing that? I think he is a workaholic, and he loves the job. He literally loves what he's doing. There's absolutely no doubt in about the man. He loves it. And when you love what you're doing, you don't need to sleep. You're unconquerable. I give lectures or talks or radio talk shows at 3 o'clock in the morning, my time, for two hours. That's 5 o'clock. I have to go to work at 7 o'clock in the morning. I don't have time to sleep. So I have 12 hours or 14 hours not sleeping. And I don't mind. I function. And you are the same, by the way. You're indefatigable. Yeah, I... I um... no, don't give me excuses, but I'm telling you. That's <laughs> hard. I get about... I get a little bit more than the president. I get about six and a quarter hours a night if I'm lucky. Sometimes, five. F- sometimes five. Five, exactly. And you can survive, and you wake up, and you are 100%. The minute I get out of bed, I'm 100%. Even if I slept two hours, I'm a, I'm a little slower than you are, sir. I'm a little slower. <laughs> no, no. Honestly, I mean, the guy loves what he's doing. Oh, he and, and, and that's that's true about anything. If, if you love what you're doing, you you are infa- infatigable. You 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 you. He is a patriot. He loves America. He loves mm-hmm. he loves the people. He, I remember the video with. Oprah Winfrey of 27, 28 years ago now. He said the same thing at Oprah Winfrey in the video than when he became, before he became president. He said exactly the same. They were ripping us off. He said exactly the same thing. So the guy was tuned in. I love the guy. Yeah. I have enormous respect for him. It doesn't matter what mistakes he talks and he talks. This is the man. You take him as he is. Is he productive? A hundred percent. Is he a patriot? A hundred percent. Is he intelligent? A hundred percent. Is he a liar? Ten ah, percent. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All his opponents are 99% liars. 99%, I swear, all of them. Not one of them is a patriot. Not one. Anyone who speaks about open borders... Forget it. I don't want you to know what I'm going to do to them. Well, you know, and I, but, I, but I think what you said were, and I know we're right on the, right on the hour, um, he's a patriot. And I think that that's, that's part of the reason why the left doesn't like him and hates him is because he, is, he believes in the country, he is a patriot, and he, he's, as president of the United States, he is the chief patriot of the country. Yeah. Uh, and he, and he, and you know, he's, he doesn't need the job, but he loves He doesn't the need this aggravation. How no. the insults? Who needs right. it? Nobody. Who? He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. But he's doing it.
for the sake of the people that is doing a fantastic job. God bless well, you. Yeah. Jim, I'm losing my voice here. I've, I've been on well, the radio yeah, a yeah. lot today. Um, <laughs> as, as we go here, IQ, wrap up the hour for us here. Before I forget, we're meeting again on Monday next week? Yes. I have a guest that uh, he can't do Tuesday, so he'll do next Monday. So, yeah. uh, so we'll so be... Are we are we doing Monday and Tuesday or just Monday? Uh, we'll probably do both, but okay. he just he couldn't do Tuesday for some reason. I'm not sure why. But okay. uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, before we go, Dan, give us an update on your nonprofit and everything. We um, we kicked off our program of Sanibel Shoes and Socks for Homeless Veterans last uh, Saturday. But we got early contributions. Uh, Bank of America, one of our drop-off points in the island, got four 35-gallon bags of shoes. Uh, one of our other, one of our churches in the program got um, $875 in cash, and another got $100 in cash. And we're just getting started, so we're hopeful to to get a few hundred pairs of shoes and several hundred pairs of socks for. Homeless veterans, and this year what we're doing is we're also doing sneakers for female veterans. Uh, we have one of the largest populations of veterans in the country, number three here in Florida. So we have a, a good con uh, contingent of homeless veterans that, that need our help, and we're trying to do that. Well, it's great work, my friend, and uh, we will uh, we will talk next week. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Take care, gentlemen. Thank you, IQ. Appreciate it, my friend. And uh, we are going to take a break. Okay, Dan and IQ, can you guys hear me? We are here. Okay. I'm well, I'm 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 trying to call Dan, so uh, we'll we'll see Dan what happens here. Dan was with me a few seconds. So we'll call him again. Okay. Well, I. Uh, it says that it's dialing him, what? so. There we are. Hello. Dan, can you hear me? Yes, sir, I am. Can you hear me? Yes, 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 yes. Doug, can you hear us, my friend? I hear you. What's the name of the show? Uh, we are live on the uh, Jiggy Jaguar show here today with Doug Weed. He is the author of Inside Trump's White House, the real story of his presidency. And uh, Dan Perkins joins us as well, also IQ Al Rizzoli. And uh, Doug, tell us first of all about this book, and then I know that Dan and IQ and I will have some questions for you. So jump in there. Doug, tell us about the book. <laughs> okay, well... I just I sat down with Ivanka Trump, and I said, you know, in a couple hundred years, they're still going to be writing books about the Trump family. But whether you're viewed as the Borges or some hateful combination of power and money, or you're celebrated like the Kennedys or the Rockefellers, it all depends on primary sources, not anonymous sources. So somebody needs to capture what you say and what the president says, and I would like to be that person. Wow. So Damn. can I ask you a question about that, sir? Yeah. How did you come to sit down with Ivanka? Did you have to go through a bunch of other people before you got there? Uh, was there a prior relationship? Uh, because you're asking her to uh, somewhat bear her soul about the family. So... You must have had, she must have had great trust in you. How did that come about? 
You know, uh, right after he won the election, uh, I was called by the BBC, and they wanted me to come in and do a TV show early, and it was the middle of the night here in Washington, D.C., but I wrote a book called All the President's Children, and it's the, the bios of all the children of America's presidents. So they wanted me in as an authority to talk about the fact that Donald Trump had just appointed his son-in-law and daughter to work in the White House. So they sat me down and said, well, this has never happened before, and this is outrageous, all that sort of stuff. I said, actually, Ivanka Trump is the 19th son or daughter of an American president to serve in the they said, well, yes, but uh, when, uh, uh, a woman has never served. I said, actually, Anna Roosevelt uh, ran the White House for FDR his last year in office. She actually planned and ran the Yalta Conference all by herself. Uh, so it's very common. Uh, well, why? Why would a president want to appoint his own daughter or his own son? Because the most important quality Donald Trump will soon find out in the White House is loyalty, and that's why. Well, I went home, I got my pajamas, got back into bed, and thought nobody in the world is ever going to see that because it was in England. <laughs> nobody was watching, but I was wrong. <laughs> Ivanka Trump was watching, <laughs> and uh, they got their positions in the White House, and partly because I made the historical argument continually that th this was perfectly legitimate and normal. So who called you? She sent me an email and with the with a link to the BBC story and said thanks. And that began the relationship, and it lasted about a year or so before I asked to write the book. And then they spent a year debating <laughs> I'm the guy who tape-recorded Bush. They weren't going to let me in the White House. So there were all kinds of people for and against it. And finally, the president, he just, he, he just one morning said, let's do it. And that was it. And I asked him myself, I said, why did you trust me and why? And he said, oh, I had Michael Beschloss come to Mar-a-Lago right after I won, and he spent a whole week kissing my, you know what, now he's on TV attacking me. I just didn't feel chemistry, but I feel chemistry with you. So it is true that he tends to trust uh, desire over competency sometimes. If someone really wants to do something, he tends to trust that desire and give them a shot. And I think that's what was happening with me. Is, the, uh, is there an, a substitute word for desire? Passion? <laughs> yeah, passion and interest. Uh, if you enjoy what you're doing is what, what he teaches. And he's done that again and again. When he ran for president, he put his, his daughter-in-law, uh, Lara, in charge of North Carolina, which was the critical state in their strategy. And she had no political experience whatsoever, but she had uh, uh, a great passion. So, um, how long did it take you to get the get the raw data? Two years. Uh, the, the president said I could talk to anybody I wanted to, and uh, I started out saying I want to talk to every cabinet member. He said, "Good, good," but. First, I wanted to talk to the family, 
And when I got into the family, I never got out. <laughs> it was just too interesting. Who would you rather hear tell you about moving the embassy to Jerusalem? Jared Kushner or, or a Secretary of State? I would rather have Jared Kushner. So um, are you saying that the, the president put no limits on what you could talk about? He put no limits. And... Uh, he the, was completely about the family. He was completely honest and open, and and the family was completely open and honest. Uh, I asked Ivanka about how she bears up under the attacks, and she says, "I refuse to be bitter. I will not be bitter. I can't function unless I'm happy. So I choose to be happy." And uh, she talked about her children. She talked about her work, uh, met with her and her husband at their home in Georgetown and met with her in her office numerous times and met with Jared in his wonderful hideaway office in between the Oval Office and the Chief of Staff suite of offices. Uh, that's quite a location, I'll tell you. So the thing that I'm interested in is, uh, and I've ordered your book, but I'm waiting till Christmas to, to read it. Um, <laughs> one of the things I'm, I look at, and I, I am author, I've written seven books, three children's books and four books on terrorism. And wow. I, I look at our first lady. And I, I'm, I don't believe I'm a sexist when I say this. She is... One of the most elegant, beautiful, statuesque women, forget about being the first lady, that I've ever seen. And the poise and grace in which she handles her position. She doesn't say, do you have much time with Melania? No, I didn't get to interview Melania, but... Uh, she's the only member of the family I didn't get to interview. I interviewed Tiffany, for example, who's never been interviewed since her father was elected president. But the children told me the most wonderful stories about Melania. And the president himself talked about Melania this, Melania that, constantly. So I was able to get some wonderful stories in a great picture. They have a very playful, very romantic relationship and she loves him, and she's proud of him, and she's a loyalty enforcer in his inner circle, and he's proud of her. Uh, she She's had tremendous attacks. They, uh, a New York Times reporter called her a prostitute, said that she had been a prostitute. He, he apologized, but the New York Times did not uh, fire him. So she's gone through hell. Sometimes at night at the dinner table, when she's under attack for no reason on earth other than just pure jealousy, he'll uh, he'll tease her and he'll say, Melania, honey, isn't this great, this journey I'm taking you on? You're the first lady of the United States, thanks to me. And she'll say, oh, yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much. So the kids get a real kick out of how they are, are handling the pressure they're under. I... I I grew up, I'm 74, I grew up in the mystique of John Kennedy and Jacqueline Kennedy, Camelot as it was mm -hmm. called. And, and, yeah. 
I was sad when he was killed. Um, still sad that he was killed. And she, she became, let's call it the standard for a first lady in her poise and her elegance and her language skills. But I, I really think for as little as I know about Melania, I think she's head and shoulders above Jacqueline Kennedy. And um, I don't know whether it's important to her to get the recognition or not, but it is amazing how um, they, were, they were complaining about the jacket that she wore when she was introducing the White House decorations. I mean, it's, it's just... It's just amazing um, that she's so elegant, so beautiful, so poised that she has to go through the crap that the American reporters uh, will not give her credit for what she's accomplished in her life, and and does and she doesn't get it. And and I look at the other the other. I mean, if you if you look at this Trump family. The children and the grandchildren. Can you imagine a more attractive family in the world anywhere? As far as a political leader, no. Um, so you said that Jared has an, an in-between office. What's his relationship with the president? He has a great relationship with the president. Um, he he's the fireman. When when something burns out of control, they go to Jared. I thought because you know Jared and Ivanka are Jewish, they lit the candles in the Lincoln bedroom for the first time in American history. The the candles were lit, welcoming in the Sabbath, uh, for example. And people think of Jared and Ivanka as more liberal. The truth is, they're all very loyal to Donald Trump, and it's true that. He will rely on Jared and Ivanka to sometimes give him a different opinion and challenge the opinion so there's a good debate. But once the president makes a decision, the whole family falls in the line solidly behind Donald Trump. And uh, Jared has actually been brilliant. He's, he's, <laughs> he is uh, an amazing strategist. Uh, he told me something very interesting. The Trump children travel all over the world, and from time to time throughout 2017 and 18, heads of state would pull them into their office and say, please tell your father when you get home, we're so sorry he's going through this Russian collusion nonsense. <laughs> when I heard that story, I, I thought, well, of course, I, I needed the perspective of the children to see this. Of course. If you're the president of France or the prime minister of the UK, if you're Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel, you pick up the phone as soon as that article appears in the New York Times. You don't wait two years for the Mueller report. You pick up the phone, you call Mossad, and you say, hey, I've known the Trumps all my life. What in the heck is this story in the New York Times about? I want to know by 6 p.m. tonight, because your country's economy and your country's survival depends on knowing, is the president of the United States a Russian spy? It's the most ridiculous thing. 
And that perspective from the Trump children helped me <laughs> see. I mean, if Trump were a Russian spy, it would be uh, it, it would be one of the greatest events of history. It'd be like landing a man on the moon. It would be like Columbus's voyage. And of course, it's ridiculous. Yeah. If you if you look at the the interviews that you did, who would you say has the greatest amount of influence on President Trump? You know, he's uh, he's like a machine that's been <laughs> that's been running for some time. I mean, when Ivanka and Don Jr. and Eric, when they were little kids crawling around his desk on the floor, he was ripping up the New York Times every morning and cutting articles and underlining articles and telling his secretary, get this information, get that information, filing them before files existed on windows and computers, putting them manually, hard copies in filing cabinets. He was frustrated his whole life with what government was doing. And he always expected somebody to run for president. Uh, but nobody did, that would clean it up, that would make it better. And finally, he did that. So it's hard to think that, that his kids or anybody is influencing him. He's uh, influencing them. So does he have a person that he, he, he carries a great deal of stock in for advice? You know what I've noticed? He'll hire people that disagree with him. I mean, a good example of that was was Bolton that, as NSA director. He he badmouthed Trump for two years before Trump hired him, and he didn't care. He wanted him on on his staff to argue his opinions, and then Trump would make his decisions. And I noticed that Trump there's a real method to his madness. You know, Sun Tzu once taught that. Uh, out of chaos comes opportunity. And I can mm -hmm. see that Trump likes to blow something up and then put the pieces together again. He did it with NAFTA. He did it with NATO. This is very much his uh, uh, modus operandi. So with NATO, he just blew it up. Why are we doing this? And the media went crazy, and the Pentagon sent generals in to sit down with him and lecture him like he was a little boy. And These are right. our friends, sir. We can't do this to our friends. And he's saying, what, they're friends? Why are they lying to us? Why do they sign this agreement and not keep it? Why does our middle class have to build high-speed railways in Germany while we defend them? And so he blew it up, and then he rebuilt it, and he's raised $100 billion for NATO, stronger than it's ever been uh, because of what Donald Trump has done with NATO. I want to give my friend IQ an opportunity to ask some questions, and then I would, hopefully, if we have time, Jim, come back to me. IQ, it's up oh, to you. Oh, yeah. IQ, jump Thank in there. No, I have really one question. Why was it, were you not able to talk to Melania? I mean, she's so important. As Dan said, she is really second to none to Trump. Why were you not able to have a one-to-one -one with her? I don't know. I wanted to, and uh, I, I certainly would do it, but she's reluctant, and she doesn't trust the press, uh, but she was very impressive. I remember one story, uh, it was Christmas 2018, 
and uh, the president was going to go to Iraq into a combat zone, and the Secret Service sat Melania down and explained to her how dangerous this was. She said, well, then I'm going. And they said, no, no, you're not going. We, you know, only twice in American history has a first lady gone into a combat zone. And in both cases, it takes many weeks of preparation to prepare that. She said, if my husband is in danger, I will share that danger with him. I'm going. And so on Christmas night, 2018, the president and Melania flew out to Iraq to be with the troops uh, so she's a very interesting woman. You're right, what you said. You're right. We've got a... I, uh, hope, I sincerely hope when you... As Dan said, is it on the internet? What's the name of the book? Because I'm going to buy it for sure. It's called Inside Trump's White House. Inside Trump's White House. Okay. And you can get it from any Amazon or anybody, really. Done. We'll be done tonight. We've got uh, Doug Weed with us today, New York Times bestselling author, former advisor to two American presidents. He served as a special assistant to the president. Uh, George H.W. Bush, White House. Mr. Weed's books are known for their primary sources, and uh, he's interviewed six American presidents. And uh, this book contains uh, a lot of interviews. Uh, who, who was the easiest one uh, to get some information out of? Donald Trump. <laughs> it just flowed. It just flowed. Uh, you know, Bismarck said that, that politics is the art of the possible. With Donald Trump, I see he's not a politician. He's not a diplomat, for sure. He's a businessman. And he wrote in his book, and he taught that, uh, that you deal with the toughest problem first, and then you go on to the second problem, and then the next problem. And so when he went in there, when he met with Barack Obama as president-elect, he asked uh, Obama, what is the toughest problem that you're facing right now and that I'm going to face? And Obama said, you will have a war with North Korea on your watch. And Trump said, I, I asked him, well, uh, have you called him? And Obama said, no, I haven't called him. He's a dictator. He's a dictator. And then Trump looked at me, we were having lunch, and he looked at, at Bill Shine, who was there, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders. He looked at us, and he repeated Obama's words, no, I didn't call him. He's a dictator. And then there was a long pause, and Trump said, stupid, stupid. <laughs> so, so I guess, as a businessman, he learned, if you got a problem with somebody, they may hate your guts, and you may hate their guts, but when you got a problem, you pick up the phone and you call them. And that's what he did with Kim Jong-un. Uh, if I might ask a, another question. Um, in, in thinking about what you've been saying for the last 40 minutes, um, <clears throat> I'm curious as to, um, we had a, Maybe historical is uh, the right word or the wrong word to use. <clears throat> but we had the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee today override a vote of the entire House, allowing one day of testimony by the Republicans, witnesses. He summarily dismissed that. And so we have the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee deciding 
that he is above the Congress. And whatever the Congress decided, he doesn't have to be abided, uh, obligated to do it. And what I wonder, the arrogance of the Democratic Party and their abuse of power, their manipulation of the law, their lack of truthfulness and honesty to the American people, uh, the outright lying, how does this country ever heal? How do we not remain divided forever? Well, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it, in my experience, I've been, uh, I was part of the uh, Bush family political machine for almost 40 years, and I've seen the establishment, both Republican and Democrat. And Donald Trump was able to see uh, how crony capitalism worked. Uh, how they pass regulations to keep you from starting a business, how they work with special interest groups that appeal to the Democrats to keep you out of business with regulation, and then how under both Republican and Democrat parties, when there's a recession, they pass a stimulus bill. The last stimulus bill under Obama was a 1,000 pages. That's the size of the Bible. And what they do is they exempt these companies from those regulations that have passed, that created the monopolies. And they're multinational companies, all of them, and they all make tremendous amounts of money with China. So here comes Donald Trump. They don't like him. They hate it. He's, uh, he's upset. They're, uh, he's moved their cheese. And so they're very upset, and it's about money. And that's why the media, which is owned by these companies, and if they're not owned, in other cases they're sponsored, their shows are paid for by these companies, it's why they're going after him. And that's what drives it. And I'm just, uh, I feel we're lucky that at least some Republicans are standing up for him. And he's turned the economy around. He's brought back the middle class. We today have 7 million unfilled jobs. That's the population of the size of Indiana, the state of Indiana. We've never had an economy like this. And he represents the gold standard of presidents, peace and prosperity. He's the first president in 40 years not to have invaded somebody. We invade Panama or Grenada or Bosnia or Libya. We invade somebody. So far, maybe he will still, Iran, who knows. But so far, uh, he hasn't invaded anybody. And the Democrats are upset. They feel they, the only way to beat him is to impeach him, and the only way to impeach him is to shut down all opposition. But, but um, I mean, no disrespect, you didn't really respond to my question. How does this, ever, does this country ever come back together and unify, given what the Democrats have done for the last three years? How do, the, how do we heal that enormous divide and gap between the far left and conservative Republicans in the United States? How does that happen? Or well, I don't possible? know. I don't know. Well, that's a because good answer. It, it's, it's, getting pretty, it's getting pretty dark. I mean, the Democrats brought in professors uh, to lecture us on the Constitution from Stanford and Harvard where they don't allow free speech on campus. 
mm-hmm. and uh, where they have professors who teach that the world's going to end in 10 years. And Stanford, uh, they just hired a football coach with a five-year contract at $4 million a year. They have an endowment of $26 billion, and they say the world's going to end in 10 years. Seems to me they ought to use some of the $26 billion to help the environment. Either that or they should refund the hundreds of thousands of dollars they charge their students for an education. Because either they're lying to them or, or they're hypocrites in what they're doing. So academia, Hollywood, uh, the billionaires. Uh, you have Elizabeth Warren complaining about billionaires. They supported the Democrat Party 20 to 1 in 2000. 16 because they run monopolies and they depend on regulations and Donald Trump is breaking the dishes turning over the tables and they don't like it yeah I uh, I wrote a commentary saying that uh, th- there is a positive from the Democrats activity in both the Foreign Relations Committee and the Judiciary Committee and this is my observation for the better part of three years, we in the media have talked about the deep state. And yet, the deep state has always been referred to in a nondescript way. And what we saw in the two panels in the House Intelligence Committee, we now have faces on the deep state. We understand that they do not like our country. They do not think the president should have the right to establish foreign policy, that they should be in charge, and he should simply be a token head. So I thank the Democrats for showing the American people just how ugly, um, conceited, and elite the deep state is in Washington, D.C. Number two, When we had the four professors from the legal schools, three of them except uh, Professor Turley, we now have, we've we've talked about, on infinitum, about the degradation of the quality of education and the openness of education in our colleges and universities. We saw the face of three college professors who are telling us we're dumb, stupid, and not capable of making the decisions. Only the elites can make those decisions. So we now know what the deep state looks like and how it thinks, and we now have a better understanding of what the college professors who are corrupting the minds of our children look like and how they sound. Well, that's a good observation. I found it interesting that uh, the Stanford professor, the woman, hates Donald Trump so much that she said she can't walk on the sidewalk outside his hotel, yet she was sitting there to decide who the next president should be instead of 63 million Americans who had voted for him. She was now the authority. And I saw how angrily she attacked the president's 13-year-old son, and that at home, because I don't know if you are aware or have read, but I've received continual death threats to my children by name, all five of my children since my book was published. 
and that's been ongoing for some time. That seems to be the modus operandi of the left in America. Uh, I found it ironic that Nancy Pelosi was talking about founding fathers when only last week the Democrat Party linked up with the New York Times to begin this re-education program of American young people, the 1619 Project, which will say that America was founded in 1619 by uh, criminals who wanted to establish a slave state, uh, notwithstanding the fact that slavery existed in the British Empire till the 1830s. Uh, but this is uh, an odd juxtaposition. Now they, they, they say they're patriot. They talked about the founding fathers, Nancy Pelosi, when they've rejected their, the founders of their own party, Thomas Jefferson and Andrew Jackson. They've eliminated Jefferson Jackson Day fundraisers in the uh, Democrat Party because they disapprove of their own founders, and yet they were talking about the founding fathers and the Constitution compel them to impeach Donald Trump. It's, uh, what is that? it's an what amazing is that, moment. What does that tell you about the integrity, the more moral integrity of the Democratic leadership? Well, I worry about the, the stupidity of the American people. I mean, how can the American people, I guess they don't care. Surely they know Donald Trump is not a spy. They know that. And yet they still tell themselves that or tell other people that or hope that there are people stupid enough to believe that. Uh, it's just, it's, uh, it's breathtaking. Let me share with you a situation that happened this morning on Glenn Beck's program. He sent out a reporter to one of the local colleges and they took photographs of Stalin, Hitler, Obama, and Trump. And the children could not identify Joseph Stalin. They had no idea who he was. And, <laughs> and they asked which of the four was the greatest. And they put Barack Obama in number one simply because he was black. His greatness was the fact that he was a black man who was elected president of the United States. Nothing about what he did. And when they showed him St Stalin, they didn't have any idea who Stalin was. Then they went to Donald Trump, and um, the reporter said, so do you know that he killed six million Jews? And the student said, Donald Trump killed six million Jews? The student didn't even know the, their world history that Stalin had killed six million people along with Hitler killing millions of people. But because they mentioned six million people being killed, they were surprised and they thought it was Donald Trump. So it's a demonstration of the inadequacy of the education system in the United States when our, quote, college students do not know their world history and do not know their American history. And in a sense, you're right in saying that they're stupid because the education system, which is controlled by the left, has decided what our children are going to learn and also what they're not going to be told. Which comes back to my question to you. 
how do we change? How do we get rid of the division in this country between left and right that is so violent and that the the left the left is now in a position with the squad and other people saying if you do not agree with me then you have no say now that's that's enter, that's contrary to the constitution but i honestly believe sir that the Democrats believe that. If you don't believe what they believe, your opinion doesn't count. And how I, I, I worry about how we're ever going to bring people back to the middle, where we can have a, a respect to disagree without brutally attacking the other party. Do you see any hope for that happening at all? Well... Uh, not a great deal. Uh, the only hope is the rhetoric that Nancy Pelosi used, even though it was contradictory to her own pre presidential candidates in the Democrat Party. It, it, it let me see that she's aware of the fact that the Democrat Party is drifting away from the mainstream. The way she talked about, I'm in prayer about this, She's got to begin to see that the Hollywood dominance of the Democrat Party uh, is, is not going to work uh, as easily. But it's very frightening for me. Uh, you know, I'm an old guy. I guess I won't be around to see it. But uh, it doesn't look good. So if, you, if you're concerned... Uh, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. If Donald Trump gets reelected, you can sleep a little easier because he's likely to control what's going on as best he can. But when he's finished his second term and the, re and the Democrats go after the presidency, is that where we're most vulnerable as a nation? 2024? If, if, he, if he doesn't win re-election, uh, it, it'll be... <laughs> Very, it'll be it'll discouraging be to me. Yeah, it'll be very discouraging to me. Now, there are some parts of his legacy that won't be reversed. I don't care who the next president is. They're not going to refund NATO the money that they had promised to raise, that they raised under Trump. They're not going to rewrite uh, the Mexican-Canadian-American uh, uh, deal. They're not going to go back to NAFTA, which was 17,000 pages long. Imagine that. They were on TV. Republican, establishment Republicans were saying, oh, Trump's against free trade. He's against the free trade agreement. Well, NAFTA was 17,000 pages. What do you think were in those pages? Uh, it doesn't take 17,000 pages to say free trade. They were filled with all kinds of deals for one company or another. And I don't think they'll go back on his new trade uh, agreement, but they probably will go back on China. We've had, in our lifetime, the largest transfer of wealth in world history outside of the Middle East from the American middle class to China over the last few years under Bush, Clinton, Bush. Obama under four presidents, and uh, it's been tragic. 
Well, if you look at, if you look through the World Bank, you look at the economic data of all the industrialized nations of the world, there is only one country that has a trade surplus with China. Every other country in the world has a trade deficit with China. So not only have they been taking advantage of us, they've been taking advantage of the rest of the world. And the rest of the world seem to be almost complicit in allowing themselves to be raped and pillaged. May I interrupt? Fascinating. <laughs> By the way, that country is England. Go ahead, IQ. Inter interesting. In response to what you said about how to change the divide in America, it is of, of course true that the leftists control the narrative in the schools and universities. You use the word complicit in a few, a few seconds ago. The ones who are most complicit in the failure of the education system in the United States of America are the parents of these students who pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to these institutions who corrupt the minds of their children. The fault is not with the education system. The fault is not only with Congress. The fault lies instantly and all over time with the parents who never raise their voice to say, what are you doing here? How dare you educate my children in anti-patriotism, in false history, in absolute garbage? They never Correct me if I'm wrong. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's a good observation. Let me, uh, I know we got a couple minutes left. Let me, let me throw another idea at you. I asked you the question, how do we reverse the trend? Um, and I agree with you. It's a difficult question. But let me throw something on the table that for your consideration. We have an investigation going on into the activities. We clearly found out today with the Steele dossier that that was the sole document that was used to get the FISA warrants to spy on the Trump campaign. I wasn't people. able to watch that today. That's interesting. That's the first I'm hearing about. I'm, I'm anxious to see all of that. So let me, let me suggest to you what has to happen in order to change what's going on. And what I'm about to say you may perceive to be extremely radical, but I think in order to solve the problem, it has to be radical. I believe between now and the general election, a grand jury will indict the former president of the United States, Barack Obama. And the shock of what comes out in a trial of what he had done to this country will be so shocking to both sides, they have to come together. Because they'll realize just how terrible things really are in this country today. Well, it's, uh, 
it, I don't think that will happen because I don't think that uh, public opinion will allow it. But it's interesting you say that because when I interviewed the president, I, I got into this whole question of deep state and what, what was happening. And he paused and he said, that they were spying on me. They were spying on me. Now, he'd been president two years by the time of this interview. So he'd learned quite a bit about what the president knows and when he knows it. And the information yeah. is like currency. It has value. You spend it. And it goes right to the president. You want to be the one to tell the president, Mr. President, they're not letting you know this because they want you to have plausible deniability. But I think you should know. And the information just flows to the president. So uh, Donald Trump was telling me what he had learned. And he said, they were spying on me. And it's treason. Think of that. They were spying on me. Then he paused and he said, Obama. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't agree. think it'll ever. Uh, I don't think it'll ever uh, lead. There are there are legal protocols that some of the activities that was done by the deep state can only be performed with the direct authorization of the president of the United States. And I think there's going to be a time when somebody's going to be asked the question. What did the president know? When did he know it? And what did he do about it? And Barack Obama may not be called to testify, but I think there's a possibility that he could be indicted because of the seriousness of the crimes that his administration committed. The idea, the idea that the press will not support it the idea that they won't indict him because he is the first black president, to me, doesn't make any difference. If the man broke the law, he should be prosecuted whether he's black, white, yellow, or green. And I think that the American people will support that situation, especially as they understand how difficult, how disruptive, how corrupt, how illegal the activities of the Obama administration were against Trump and his staff people, and that we, as Barr said, we had an administration spying on the President of the United States. And Democrats, Democrats objected to that. They're not objecting to it anymore. So um, what do you think is going to be the outcome in the House? Will they pass a bill of impeachment? I think they will. What do you think? I think they're rushing. And the report today that came out from Horowitz, the, the early, early line on the report was that it wasn't going to be as damaging as people had thought. I believe that was all rhetoric. When the, when the inspector general says that the entire evidence for the FISA warrants was based on the illegal document, the FISA warrant. That's serious, serious situation. And, and we had Drummond come out this afternoon and say, I don't agree with all the conclusions in the Horowitz report. And he's investigating criminal activity. But the, the, the Horowitz report is such that 
it's I understand it's like a thousand pages. Um, um, I just think that it's it's going to start a cascade, and in addition to the president of the United States being indicted, I also think one of the things that will change the philosophy in this country is when Hillary Clinton is wet, wet, let out of her house in Chappawa in handcuffs and is also indicted for all the things that everybody knows that she did that were illegal and treasonous. So what has to happen, in my opinion, is that the people who created this muss now have to pay the piper. And that's going to mean a lot of people are going to be disillusioned about who they thought these people really were. We will see. I, <laughs> I don't have that much confidence that law will prevail. Well, I am really looking forward to reading your book. I appreciate the time that you yes. gave me today and put up with all my questions. Um, <laughs> Well, this has definitely been fun. Before we let everybody go, IQ, I want to start with you, my friend. How do we uh, find you online, get your books, everything else, IQ Al-Rizzoli? All you need to do is Google my name, Al-Rizzoli, A-L-R-A-S-S-O-L-I. And it was a fantastic talk. Thank you very much. Now, uh, Dan, bring us up to speed on your uh, nonprofit and uh, books and everything else you're doing. Songs and Stories for Soldiers, a 501c3 that helps veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, sleep deprivation, and suicide prevention, is now the sponsor for Sanibel Shoes and Socks for Homeless Veterans. This is our third year realizing that veterans who go into a VA facility, shelter, uh, can get clothes, they can get a hot, hot shower, they can get food, but the VA can't supply them with shoes. This is our third year. We are through our first week as of today. Tomorrow we are turning in to the VA 223 pairs of shoes, no men's sense. and women's, and over 400 pairs of socks for men and women. We have approximately one in 10 veterans in this country, male and female, that are homeless. And in Florida, where I live, we have the third largest and fastest growing veterans population in the country. 8% of our veterans in Florida are homeless women. So we are, uh, we don't know what the number should be because we already blew past the previous years. All I know is that the outreach has been phenomenal. And um, you can find more information about that and songs and stories by going to my website, danperkins.guru can all find information about my books and thank you so much sir for joining us today i thoroughly enjoyed it now doug before thank you for having me before we let you go how do we get your book and connect with you online and everything else well i'm doug weed at aol.com or dougweed.com and it's d-o-u-g-w-e-a-d and the book is inside trump's white house and uh, you can go to insidetrumpswhitehouse.com and it'll connect you to anybody, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, all the others. Fantastic. Doug, can I ask you a quick question? Doug, real quick? Yes. Is it, is it yes. available in an audio book? 
Yes, it's available uh, audio, uh, Audible, and Kindle, and uh, yeah, it's available in every thank format. Thank you, thank you. You just made my day. Thank you so much. <laughs> you, you can walk the dog. You can walk the dog and listen to listen to Ivanka and Jared and Don Jr. and the president and Eric and Laura all talk about their experiences. It's very interesting. Fantastic. I'm going to get. I'm going to order audio tonight. Thank you. Well, uh, I appreciate everybody, and uh, Doug, it's been an honor and a privilege. We will talk to you soon, and Dan and IQ, uh, we will check in with you on our regular uh, program tomorrow. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it, everybody. Thank you. Doug Weed. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.